Father, we come before in Jesus' name. We just pray that you would have our attention. Pray that you'd remove all the distractions and we'd all be changed. Because we were here today. If there's anything we need to repent of, we need to get right, that's going to block your spirit from working in our hearts, Lord. I just pray we wouldn't waste our time, waste your time. We just let you have your way, have your way in my life. Please, Holy Spirit, um, guide my words and my thoughts and um, let communication be clear. And we just pray uh, you'd be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So where do I start? Um, I've been thinking about, people tell me I'm not supposed to talk about how great this church is, but sorry. Um, this is just a great church. It's wonderful. I mean, we, I love you guys. We hang out. People live in each other's houses. You guys end up getting married, married, have, you know, godly marriages. Um, it's just exciting and fun. And you guys pray for each other, bear each other's burdens. You're hungry. You challenged me. You guys helped me to be a better Christian. Um, I'm not just Superman. I'm just like you guys. And I need to be surrounded by hungry, especially young guys. You know, I don't need to be a woman of God. So they do their thing. They do their thing. And But, I, but I'm, but I'm uh, surrounded by like super hungry young guys. And they, I got to be up in the morning and in prayer and I got to be in the word and I can't be fumbling around and because they're going to ask me the hard questions. I just love this place. And uh, and as a bonus, God just does all kinds of miracles, which he just does. There's just no two ways about it. And not, and, and you give glory to God. And of course, it's not us. It's him. But you got to do things right. He doesn't just arbitrarily show up for no good reason and unilaterally break in and do stuff. He gives us kind of patterns and th ways that he wants us to do it. And then he shows up and all kinds of wonderful things happen. That's my lead in. And so, so then I was thinking about, well, what are we missing? What are we missing? Now, you could look at anything and say, you could do better there and you could do better there. And I would just say, well, duh. I mean, the Apostle Paul said, I could do better. That's the Apostle Paul said, I haven't arrived, I haven't become perfect, I press on toward the goal for the prize. You can always say that. But you can't say, we don't pray, we pray. You can't say, we don't reach out to the poor, we reach out to the poor. A lot of you guys are scraped off the road, you know, uh, and God's transformed your life. We can't say, you don't do evangelism, we do evangelism. Yeah, but you could do better. I know, but we, we do it. But I was like, what are we, what's really like something that's almost like a category that's missing? Um, and it's in my life too and some people don't think it is missing because I do more than most people and I have more stories than most people and you know I, I regularly get to lead people to Christ and have cool answers to prayer and I got stuff going on it's just a fact uh, but I think there's something missing and I think if we get a hold of this I'm not I'm not prophetic in the sense of foretelling you know occasionally i'll know what's coming down the pike but I, I i know i'm not especially gifted in that way but uh i guess i'd say i wonder if we have this sweet little holy huddle and when people come into it 
awesome things happen and we've just we all get to enjoy it kind of stand around the fire sing kumbaya you know just us our little crew and and it's really great and we try to tell people how great it is and then they come and they say you guys are really weird i'm going to go back to my church um you know discipleship houses and all this kind of stuff um people memorizing books of scripture and everybody getting up in the morning and praying we're like oh it's great it really works i have peace i have joy i used to be crazy i'm not anymore i threw my meds away i don't go to the psychotherapist i'm you know i'm changed i'm healed i'm life's great i got great relationships my marriage is great my you know life is great but we're in this little holy huddle i'm like are we missing some ingredient because i often wonder why I don't know. I feel like the things that we experience here, I, I experience, it's what everybody's yearning for. Everybody thinks they want money and they think they want power and they think they want prestige and they think they want to fill a stadium and everybody calling their name. That's not what they want. They just think they want it. What they want is deep, intimate relationship with God and deep, intimate relationship with other human beings who know them and love them. They're really known and they're really loved. That's what we all want, no matter what we think we want. I'm like, well, I got that. You know, Joe was saying the other day, I could just kind of hang out here and just bask in the coolness of what God's doing here for the rest of my life. But the problem is we have a dying world out there. And everybody who's under the delusion that they do need money and that'll make them happy or they do need a stadium screaming their name or they do need to be a rock star, or a movie star or whatever they think they need. But then when they get it, they're like, bang, that didn't work. I think, well, maybe I need to try something else or do something else. And, you know, if, if if those things work, why are all the stars and the big names, why are their marriages always blowing up and they're going to rehab and they're, you know, why are they all nuts? Because that's not it. And so in a sense, I've found what I need. I'm I'm peaceful, happy, joyful. My life has purpose and meaning. But I'm like, am I missing something? And I think we are. And... uh just a suggestion. And the missing piece, I think, is called reckless abandon. Yeah, I do evangelism, but I still haven't talked to my neighbors on this side because they're always turning over college students. And I haven't talked to the ones across the street yet. And whole houses have moved in and moved out. And they haven't heard the gospel from me. Yeah, certain times and places when we schedule evangelism, I do evangelism. Uh, but just to be honest with you, I I was in a hotel the other day and I was just going to put a track on the desk. And I'm like scared. Like, what is your problem? You know, what is a bunch of ninjas going to jump out and beat you down or the cop? It's like, what is your problem? You know, and the other day I was getting my car fixed. I wanted to do the same thing. And I didn't want the guy to see me do it. Like, what is the matter with you, you big baby? You know? I'm just like, if if what we're saying is real and true, which we only have a short time, let's either own it. Well, let's not come up with another option. Let's own it. Doesn't matter what anybody else who calls themselves Christians want to do. Let's own it. That you're going to be a bump on a hill here quick. You are. 
You're going to be in, go, go walk through the cemetery. That's going to be you. And according to Jesus, who we say is God with skin on, who came to show us the way and tell us what's up, we're going to face judgment. Everybody's going to face judgment. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. And Jesus talked about hell all the time. There's a hell, there's a heaven, there's glory, there's... And he came, I, I, you know, to, to solve our problems, to die on the cross for our sins. And then I feel pretty good because, I don't know, I share Christ three or four times a month. And people think I'm like some zealot with my hair on fire, you know? I'm a big baby. And I've, I have, I've led hundreds, if not thousands of people to Christ, whole rooms full of people to Christ. I am a stinking baby and I'm not all in and I'm not sold out. And then we say, why isn't revival here? Why isn't the Holy Spirit moving in power? If I was, I don't know, had a family business and I had some sons, I do have some sons, but I don't have a family business. But if we were all doing the same thing and one of my sons said, Dad, I want you to back me to the hilt with everything you got. Give me, give me the credit cards. Give me the accounts. Give me the company jet. Give me the cars. But uh, he was just a dabbler. And he seemed more interested in playing video games or playing on, you know, whatever, app, Twitter, coming up with excuses why he didn't even have to share Christ with his own family, whatever. But I don't think so, son. I think you need to, you know, snap out of your... What, what for whatever you're you're not in the game. I'm not going to back you up. And I think a lot of times people are like, "Oh, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be anointed with power." And God's like, honestly, I, I don't want to say things too harshly. I've been accused of that. We're like we're like dabblers. We're like babies. We're we're just we're just piddling around, splashing around the baby pool, and then we think we deserve this. The, the apostolic anointing from heaven to to you know raise the dead and heal the sick. God's like, I want you all in, all in. And God's been challenging me. I'm gonna have to help each other. Did you do anything last week for the Lord that took any courage? Did you give courage courageously? Did you? Go after a backslidden uh, Christian courageously. Correct the brother. Did you share your faith courageously? Um, or did you worry about not wanting to offend anybody? So reckless abandon. I was just thinking about this. Um, and I was thinking of some, and I will I will get to scripture. A lot of scripture. You purists are like, he's just talking up there. Yeah, I got I got a whole bunch of scripture here. But I was uh, I was thinking of some historical examples because those people that we so admire and we read their books, they weren't joking around, man. I I forgot to put that quote about George Mueller here, but he said there came a day when I died, I died to the opinions of everyone, even the Christians around me. I don't give a rip what you think about me. There's only one opinion in this universe I care about. That's his, and then we re you know. 100, 100 plus years later, I'm like, oh my goodness, look at this guy. He could change the weather. He raised 10,000 orphans. God just, you know, everything he prayed for, just bam, bam, bam. God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? I just feel like God's saying, get in the game. 
I am in the game. I'm the most zealous Christian I know. That's like saying, I'm the least damaged person on the ER unit in the hospital. You know? I'm only half paralyzed, you know? I can, whatever. God's like, no, I want you completely all in the game. So I was thinking of some examples of people that were all in the game. And uh, I just pulled up one that I liked. And C.T. Studd. Anybody know about C.T. Studd? Tell you a little about C.T. Studd. He was one of the greatest uh, athletes in Europe in his day. He lived... Um, 1860 to 1931, he was heir to a fortune. And uh, someone dragged his dad to a Deal Moody rally, who was a man who was all in. What was the theme, one of the themes of his life? The world has yet to see what God will do with a man who is completely wholly devoted to him. And he said, make me that man. He wasn't messing around. He would not go to bed at night if he hadn't shared Christ with someone. So anyway... Dad got saved, and then his dad started bringing evangelists to his massive estate to try to win his sons. And his sons were like macho men. They were, they were, cricket was the sport of the day, and uh, they were some of the best in England at the time. And they, he brought a guy out, and the sons in the biography, you don't even get his name. They said he was a milksop. That's old, archaic language for, uh, I guess you'd say, a girly man. He said it was a milksop. It means a man lacking masculine qualities. But this dude <laughs> was manly enough to uh, put C.T. Stud in a spiritual headlock and bring him into the kingdom. And so this guy, so he, he came to Christ because of this guy. So C.T. Stud walked away from his athletic career, um, ended up giving away his entire fortune, which I think what he did with his fortune was jaw-dropping, but he gave it all away because he was all in. And he said, if you're all in, God answers your prayers. Maybe God's not answering your prayers. I'm not looking at anybody in the eye in this whole room because you're not all in. So C.T. said, gave it all away. He gave, now the money doesn't really translate. I guess we'd say it, it would translate to, I would guess, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But he gave uh, 5,000 pounds to the Moody Bible Institute. Thanks, CT. That's where I trained. He gave 5,000 pounds to the Salvation Army, one of God's greatest evangelist social transformers in the 1800s. He gave, oh, 5,000 to good old George Mueller. So that he was one of the answers to prayer. So this guy could raise his 10,000 orphans on faith. George Mueller never asked for a dime. So he was one of the answers to those prayers. And then what did he do? Then he went, uh, let's see where to go first. China with Hudson Taylor. If you don't know Christian history, you better learn. See, the problem with the church right now, we're doing everything so different than when the church was awesome. But we're all so right. We're on a sinking ship we're clinging to it. We're all going down. We're losing all our children. People aren't getting saved. We're not having answers to prayer, but we're right. We're right, and I'm going to go down with the glug, 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 glug ship. I couldn't be wrong. I couldn't be wrong. My theology's right. I went to seminary, went to Bible college. This is what my favorite guy on the radio says. Tell me about the last miracle you saw. Tell me about the last transformation of life. Tell me. So we buried all the testimonies of these old guys, and we're passing around for the most part the last hundred years in the church in America, it's just substandard spiritual stuff. 
And I know that offends some people. And if you don't like it, come talk to me. I've because God's had me go on a massive tour of learning for the last 30 years. Back in the 1700s and 1800s, these people were supernatural. Hudson Taylor, incredible, incredible man of God. Well, he was he was he went with Hudson Taylor to China. And then, you know, he saw God do some astonishing things. And he learned probably this faith walk from Hudson, uh, Hudson Taylor, who he didn't ask anyone for anything. He just prayed. And God would answer Hudson Taylor's prayers. Then he went to India in the early 1900s. And I was like, oh, nice time to be in India. That was a great global awakening. That's when the Holy Spirit was sweeping in whole countries. So he's in India. And you read about like Helen uh, Dreyer and... Um, even Amy Carmichael, they were, that was a great season of revival. And he's there in India, God's using him. Then he ends up going to the African Belgian Congo. I guess he said, I just want to find hell on earth. I want to go to the worst place on the planet. And he goes to the Belgian Congo, um, living by faith. He starts an organization called WEC, World Evangelism Crusade, who, I don't know, a couple generations later, who, who was a part of that? Anybody know? Brother Andrew. Dude was a player in the kingdom. He was a difference maker. What lit him up? He got a tract. Someone gave him a tract. It was a tract from an atheist. Anybody know this story? He got a tract from an atheist. It said, if I firmly believed as millions, including us, say they do, that knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another. Religion would mean everything. I would cast away all earthly enjoyments as dross, dross, your big screen TV, your new car, whatever, your new carpet. Who gives a rip? There are souls headed for eternity with God or eternity separated from God. Earthly cares as follies. This is really going to hurt some of your feelings. Who gives a rip about the Kansas City Chiefs? Who cares? Who cares? Do you think you're going to care when you stand before Jesus? High five, Jesus! Super Bowl! Look, half the team's in hell, guys. What the heck? Or more. Where's your, where's your minds? That's why he walked away from his cricket career. Who cares if I, what, what are athletics, a bunch of over-muscled boys throwing balls around to keep people distracted from the realities of heaven and hell and spiritual warfare? Earthly thoughts and feelings is vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought. My last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I should labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the tomorrow of eternity alone. I'd esteem at one soul gain for heaven worth a life of suffering. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Isn't that why he saved us, to make us happy? I'll tell you what, if you sell out, you'll be so happy you won't know what to do. It's a byproduct. If you're in this game to get happy, you're never going to catch it. If you're in this game to lay it all down and die and live all out for God's kingdom His glory. Because I'm not utterly, totally worthless. I do this sometimes. You know, I, 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 this isn't all new information to me. God's just saying you've been pretty low functioning. You've been able to get away with doing it in snatches and, you know, fits and starts. And 
being pretty distracted because you do more than other people. But if the apostles were here, they'd be like, dude, you're pathetic. Yeah, but I'm, you know, it's like, yeah, but again, you've heard me use this analogy. All of us could go to the ICU at a hospital and feel really good about ourselves. Go to the Olympic Village, you know, and then don't just go to the Olympic Village. Look at the all-stars, you know, in world history. And, and spiritually, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus is the all-star. And then we've got some people like C.T. Studd that say, get in the game, people. You want the Holy Spirit to move? You want power? You want revival? And if you're thinking this is something really negative, some real negative guilt trip, and God's trying to load you up with burdens and cares, you're, the devil is taking you for a ride. These are the only people who really die well. Read about... Uh, John Wesley's death. Read about D.L. Moody's death. I mean, these people, they die singing hallelujah, like, I'm breaking the tape. I'm going to meet Jesus, like Paul. In the future, they're stored up for me the crown of righteousness. I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And what we're talking about, what we're really longing for, love, this, this intimate relationship with God, this intimate relationship with others, it's the only way to really have that fulfilled is by laying it all down. So anyway, I didn't finish reading my tract. I'd never, I would esteem one, I'd esteem one soul gain for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences should never stay in my hand. That's why Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm going to live all out for Christ, put a bullet to my head. I will just assume God's going to inspire some other people to get out there and, you know, maybe 10 people. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I'm not afraid of death. This dude's serious. But this is an atheist rebuking a Christian. This is when C.T. Studd was lukewarm. Earthly consequences would never stay my hand nor seal my lips. Man, I'd love to go do evangelism with the guys at on campus, but people might see me at work and uh, might see me at Dylan's and holy cow. Oh, you're the freaks. You're the Jesus freak people. Yeah, I'm the Jesus freak person. That's me. I want to get a t-shirt, you t-shirt makers. I want to get a good picture of Jesus and say, I'm a fool for... And then maybe on the back or at the bottom say, whose fool are you? You know, I want to be a fool for Jesus. You're going, to, you're going to be somebody's fool. So what else does he say? I would strive to look upon eternity alone on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy, everlastingly miserable. I'd go forth to the world, preach in season and out of season. And my text would be, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Mr. Sud said, I saw at once that this was truly the consistent Christian life. When I looked back on my own life, I saw how inconsistent I had been. I therefore determined that from that time forth, my life should be consistent. I said, I set myself to know what was God's will for me. Um, I determined not to consult with flesh and blood. Right. <laughs> Go, yeah. Call all the lukewarm Christians, you know. Even the lukewarm pastors where miracles aren't happening and they never, they, you know, they're just worried about their 401k and, you know, having their kid become a dentist so he can bring the grandkids over. Now, should I sell out? Well, you know, God's plan is mysterious and he needs people in all walks of life and he needs you here and he probably needs you in the neighborhood. And, you know, you just not everybody's supposed to this or that. And 
and he'll talk you right back down into your complacent, lukewarm, nothing Christian existence. Does everybody have to be a CT stud? No. Does everybody have to be a deal, Moody? No. And none of us are going to be. We're not. Because if, if that was who you were, there'd be some indicators already. You're not going to be the next C.T. Studd or, or uh, Corey Ten Boom. But let me ask you a question. Well, you already know. Who led C.T. Studd to Christ? You don't even know his name. All you know is he was a milksop. All you know is he was an under-muscled, wimpy kind of a guy who somehow brought one of the most manly men into the kingdom, you know, of that generation that everybody's like, you know, he would have been like uh, Patrick Mahomes or whatever, you know, that's who I want to be. Yeah, but the, so in the world's eyes, this guy was nothing. In God's eyes, this guy was a warrior. We don't even know his name. I look, I was looking through the book. What's his name? I want his name. They said Mr. W. D.L. Moody led a million people to Christ, Led, uh, got the whole ball rolling for the stud family. Who led him to Christ? Anybody know? Anybody know? Edward Kimball. He worked in his shoe store. What Tim was talking about. You all got to play your part. Ed, Edward Kimball <laughs> goes up to Moody in heaven. All right. We could split the, the spoils right down the middle. I get credit for half of them at least. All right? Milksop, Mr. W. All right, Mr. Stud. You wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me, buddy. So got to take some of those those jewels off your crown, put them on mine. All right? I'm joking. We're not going to care. But those people were players. He was a shoe store owner. He was all in. It was God's will that he sells shoes after he spent his hour in the morning in prayer and his hour in the morning in Bible study and met with his men's group and paid his tithes to his church. They were all in. I'll tell you about another guy. And I am going to get the scripture, I promise you. You ever hear of a guy named Angel Martinez? Who's heard of Angel Martinez? Evangelist, probably because I told you, right? guy led my dad to christ my dad's father i'm I, my my name's marion unfortunately <laughs> it, it's my father's father's name i'm the namesake of a drunk who died when my dad was 14 from too much rot gut whiskey failed his family that's my namesake my dad went to a revival, this guy, Angel Martinez, Hispanic guy in the deep south, you know, in the uh, 50s, I would guess. Not, not a nice place for anybody who's not lily white, but he is the Southern Baptist Church's greatest small church evangelist. And uh, they say he led 500,000 people to Christ. He was such a good evangelist that when they wanted to have a big revival out in Los Angeles, they asked him. And he said, nope, I'm not that kind of evangelist. I'm a small church evangelist. They said, okay, we'll go with our second stringer here. 
You know who that was? Billy Graham. This dude was something. I'm in the kingdom. My dad's in the kingdom. You know why he came to Christ? Anybody? A neighbor lady invited him to Sunday school 25 times. That woman was in the game. No crazy lady, get out of my face, right? Sorry, I know you're not supposed to do that. Leave me alone, right? And I think... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to set off paroxysms of laughter. But uh, 25 times. That woman was all business. Thanks, lady. I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys. So, yeah, I mean, we're not going to have... Yeah, we don't have the next deal, Moody, in here. We might set off the next deal, Moody. Step up, people. Hudson Taylor. Why did he come to Christ? His mom. She she knew how to do intercession. Abby was talking about intercession. That is the lost atomic bomb in the church. All the books on prayer now. It, it's just like a lost thing. We don't know how to pray. And then people get offended. And they say, how dare you say I'm not all this and that, and I don't know how to. And the devil's like, keep that up. Yep, just get offended. No possibility. You don't know things. Yep, you know everything. You got it all. In there. Just run that guy out of town, out of the church. He's offensive. These people prayed completely different. Hudson Taylor's mom knew how to pray. She prayed him into the kingdom. She knew when she did it. She's miles and miles away from him. God says, okay, mission accomplished. You've stood on my promises. You claim my promises. Your son is now in. She's given birth miles away. Hudson Taylor walks in. You're saved, aren't you? I knew it. God told me. I prayed you in. It doesn't even make sense anymore if you're a seminary grad. You go to our great seminaries, that kind of thinking doesn't even make sense. That's why we don't read these books. Get in the game. Be an intercessor. You might not win a million people to Christ. You could probably win a couple hundred. You can win your kids to Christ. You can win your neighbors to Christ. You could bring Angel Martinez to Sunday school. God's telling me lately, Ted, you're not in. And I, I have an amazing life. I see crazy stuff all the time, and I'm not all in. I'm afraid of people. I'm self-seeking. And God's like, please, would you just push harder, go deeper, go further, Lay your life down. So the, the scripture that was quoted in this tract comes from Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 8. He began to teach him that the Son of God must suffer. I'm not going to read that part. 834. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Crosses are not little gold things that hang off your ears or hang around your neck. Cross is something you die on. You don't have an agenda anymore. If you want to follow me, you don't have an agenda. 
yeah, God, you better make sure that I get married and I get a little house in the suburb and I live near my parents. And if you don't give me a baby, you can just forget about it. And if I'm not making six figures and I better get up the corporate ladders, God, I got no use for you. I want dead people. No agenda but mine. Of course, you're going to have a job and virtually all you guys are going to get married and you're going to have great marriages and you're going to have kids and you're going to love them and blah, blah, blah. All secondary. But my agenda is kingdom. Take up your cross, follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, that message we bear. This is the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand if you hold fast. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He rose on the third day according to the scriptures. That little message. Sell out for it. If you give up your life for that, you're going to you're gonna save it. And I, I just remember on my 50th birthday, it was four years ago, some of you guys came over to my house and just kind of surprised me. You're sitting in the backyard and someone asked me, what, what is your what conclusion after 50 years? And I have really tried to follow the Lord pretty hard for about 30 of it. And I've done crazy things and I haven't sought money and I've gone dangerous places and I've, you know, and I was like, and so far from right, and I'm being rebuked by the Lord right now, but I was like, that was the right call. Now looking back, that was the right call. I'm happy that the, that was the road that I went down. I've had a very full life. And even the guys sitting around for my birthday, a lot of them, God, I got to disciple them. I got to help them come out of impossible situations. And there's really not a whole lot in life better than that, being used by God to be a part of somebody's life saved and restored, etc. But Jesus said, if you lose it, you're going to find it. You're not going to be complaining. I just want you to open up your hand and give up what you think is important because it's not, and you're deluded and you're deceived. And life is found in dying and following after me with a whole heart, a bit like C.T. Studd did. What does it profit a man? This is what was quoted in the track. If he gain the whole world, forfeit his soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation, son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with all his holy angels. So, yeah, I was thinking through a lot of scriptures. I think we're missing this reckless abandon piece. You guys are the best group of Christians I've ever been around. You share Christ more. You give more, you love more, you don't walk around with sin in your life, you're not bitter, you have CD groups, you hold each other accountable. Most of you, most days of the week, you spend at least an hour with the Lord. Uh, those of you who are a little more mature, you're shooting for two hours. Some of you do more. A lot of you memorize whole books of scripture. I mean, this is a serious bunch. But are we recklessly abandoned? I'm not. And I can get away with it in the eyes of people. But I don't, CT Stud wouldn't have been impressed. Look at how much TV you watch, dude. Look at how much you nap. Look at how much you waste time. Look at how much you hold back. Look at these people around you. You've never shared the gospel with them. What's the matter with you? Your neighbors, every new wave of kids that come in, you don't at least give it a shot. Anyway, 
So we need the mind of Christ. Where does this start? It starts by renewing our mind. We are imposing some fifth-rate understanding of what Christianity is on the gospel. We do this, and, and philosophers and scholars know this. We bring things to a text, and then as we read it, we edit out what we don't like. We read it, but we're not reading it. And we need to actually see what Jesus was about. And where our thinking differs from him, his, we're wrong. So, yeah, I was just writing down a whole bunch of, how did Jesus see the multitudes? I think we see the multitudes as, you know, there's a lot of happy people out there. And they just don't probably, they're not really interested. And they're probably as happy as me. And um, it says, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved in his guts. His my had compassion on him. What did he see? They were distressed and troubled. It's interesting. There's different readings of the Greek. None of them change any doctrine it's just when hand things are hand copied one of them says they were like fainting fainting like lack of strength and scatters that's how he saw the multitudes fainting for lack of strength lack of sustenance and scattered like sheep without a sh sh uh, shepherd another one it was harassed uh, or that the word can actually be taken further to actually like um, torn up like by a predator. So somewhere between fainting for lack of strength and wandering aimlessly around to someone who just got attacked by a coyote and is wandering around, like, what do I do now? Kind of bleeding out all over the place. It, we, When we look at the multitudes, yeah, they probably don't even need it. I got to tell you, and I hate the Shirley argument. I hate it. Surely there's some Mormon that has experienced the peace and joy and the surely there's a Catholic who has a marriage that is blessed like surely there's a if you don't have Shirley's phone number and if you can't line up a conversation with her today that's just straight from hell. We have the answer. A lot of us are experiencing it. The world is stumbling around, bleeding out, misguided. No matter how much they smile, no matter how much they tell you life is great, Jesus saw them like sheep without a shepherd, wandering aimlessly around. We have the solution. Man, I won't really, but... You bring up Shirley again, I might excommunicate you. It's not an argument. That's the devil saying, you know, yeah, what you guys got is great, but other people have it too. Baloney, they don't. There's only one way. You know what the reason is? Because only the New Testament religion takes care of your sin problem completely. And everybody else is trying to work for the love of God. Nobody working for love is not going to be neurotic. When you're working for love, you're crazy. The only way to find peace, perfect love casts out all fear. It's when God says, look, you're loved, your problem is solved. 
Get in the kingdom. And then you get in the kingdom, and he says, now let's get busy. You want to have some fun? Sell out, and let's get busy. And let's get out there and get everybody else in the kingdom. That's how it works. You are loved. Just come through the door. No, you, Nothing's required except just accepting what God's done for you and surrendering, getting off the throne of your heart and saying, all right, I'm going to start listening to you. I'm going to start learning how to do it your way. It's a gift. But how, how do you see the multitudes? The people around us are dying. Or Jesus is wrong. Jesus, you're a little naive, um, probably because you didn't study enough psychology. Well, that brings up another thing. Who, who are they harassed by? I, I was like, what are the scriptures that sandwich this passage where there's sheep? Who are the wolves? I'll tell you real quick. Uh, as they were going out, a mute, demonized man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke. The crowds were amazed. Okay, that's that's on one side of this. What's on the other side? Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. From Jesus' perspective, what's everyone's problem? They're under the rule and reign of Satan. Well, obviously you haven't read Enlightenment philosophy and you haven't taken enough science courses and you don't understand the breakthroughs that we've had in psychology. No. Psychology cannot touch what Jesus does. Can I get an amen from a former crazy in here? That was kind of lame. Honestly, I'd have to say, man, I was nuts. I don't know anyone who's been set free by psychology or meds. Or, I know all kinds of people who've been set free by Jesus. Do we see the battle the same way? Is it forces of evil, Satan? Is it like Paul said? Our battle is not against flesh and blood, rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces, weakness in other places. Is that our battle? Are we somehow evolved and become, are we doing it better than Jesus? Are we seeing it like Jesus? Are the multitudes harassed, ripped up, thrown down? Are the wolves, the demonic powers that rule people's lives who are in the domain of darkness? And like Colossians says, he has to transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Do we agree with Jesus? Or do we just think Jesus is kind of silly, backwoods, naive, superstitious, kind of first century silly guy? No, he was God. He said, nobody knows what's going on on the other side but me, and I'm letting you know how it works. So do you understand how the demonic works? Is that how you see your friends and family members who aren't in the kingdom? There's so many of these different categories. What should drive us? What drove Jesus in this passage? Compassion, love. I've experienced the love of God. I've been made new, and I look out at all these pathetic people who are dying. And they smile at me and say, I'm great, and I'm just as happy as you. And I say, I just don't believe it. Don't believe it. Sorry. Don't believe it. Why are you going to the therapist? Why are you on Prozac? I'm not on Prozac. Why are you drinking yourself silly at the bars if you're so dang happy? Why are you on your third wife? Why do your kids hate you if you're so stinking happy? You're, you're deluded. You know, you can't really say that to them. You have to pray for them. But they're not happy. There's only one place. There's only one place. Peace, rest, the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. But our heart has to be on fire with compassion. Uh, yeah, Got a lot of things to say, but I'm going to rein it in here. A few, I was discipling a guy years ago. A lot of you know him. He was a young guy. One of the more gifted guys I've ever discipled. He's really 
thriving right now in business and missions and stuff. And he grew up in a little Kansas town. He thought everything was wonderful. Everything was rosy. Everything was great. Everybody's home was nice. Everybody's kids were happy. And I said, you need to pray that God would open your eyes. Make that your day that God opened my eyes, open my eyes, show me what these people are really going through out there. And I remember for about a month, every time I saw him, and he was a big old dude, he was like all state linebacker, big red puffy eyes from crying. He found out that there was someone on the town council whose house was a clearing house to molest little girls. Stuff like that. And then when he blew the whistle, the whole town turned on him. He's like, are you kidding me? This place is run by the devil? And he's rocked me to sleep and deluded me into thinking that everybody's happy and doing great? Do we have the mind of Christ? Are we all in? I know this is a fact. If we were all in, this room would change the world. All in. All in. And you guys, I'm not, I'm not saying you're worthless and you're not doing anything because God's favor, his hand is upon this place. Love in this place is crazy. The lives that have been restored are crazy. But God's like, hey, guys, there's more. This is not legalism. If you think this sounds like a heavy yoke, you're not hearing what I'm saying. If, if we go here, we're going to experience more joy, more freedom. We're going to have to do a deal, Moody, you know, and several others. I had to ask God, basically, I'll change the English. It was a little archaic, to take his hand off lest I die for joy. And I, I get a little, you know, I get a little bit of that every single week. But anyway, I just feel like God's challenging me. This is what we're lacking, reckless abandon. We need to be more courageous. We need to be more all in. We need to have more of the mind of Christ. We need to have more hearts of compassion. We need to see the world as it really is. And we need to tool up. That's one of the other big delusions in the church. God can use anyone to do anything right now. And then you run out in the battlefield and you're just, just eviscerated. Just, and people lose their faith because the church tries to run them out there on the battlefield. No, take a deep breath. The apostle Paul didn't jump into ministry for how many years? He's probably the smartest dude on earth. Somewhere between 10 and 15 years. God sidelined him. Read Galatians. So take your time. Tool up. Get to know the word. Learn how to pray. Let God destroy your errors. Very few people are, are cognizant of the fact that they are deceived, severely deceived in some of the categories of their religious understanding. You need to invite God to come in and destroy it so you can be free. So anyway, we are out of time. Thanks for listening. I love that song we played. It's seven minutes long. If you have something more important to do, I always like to joke, say beat the Baptist to Denny's or whatever, or Pizza Hut. Go beat them. But if you want to stick around and worship, I love this song because it kind of is my heart cry.
We have to shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the street, tell our neighbors about Jesus. We have to, we had an extended prayer time last night for five hours, and we're not very good at that either, either. <laughs> Having to slap ourselves in the faith and face and do just in the faith, in the face, do jumping jacks. But we're trying. We're doing it. But I want to go further. I want to do more because I, I want to sell out completely. I want to be all in. And then uh, maybe when we get to heaven, you know, we'll see CT stud and he'll go, Tim, dude, you had it going on, right? When that, way to go, right? But more importantly, we'll have Jesus. Well done. Well done. Well done. So I just want to stand up, sing this song, uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give a little instructions here. We have a meal. Those who need to set up that room, please set up that room. We have kids. If you have kids, go sign your kids out. After we sing this, we're going to do our normal time of prayer because we have a lot of people with prayer needs. Some of you guys need to lay it down. Some of you guys need to just get in the kingdom for the first time. Stop screwing around, wasting your life. Some of you guys are dilly-dallying like C.T. Studd was before he get, was given this tract. And you just need people to pray over you. God, I want to be all in as well. Some of you have other needs. So we have just a time of prayer after this. So if you want to go to lunch, go to lunch. You need some prayer, come to prayer. But let's close with this song and just say, God, I want you to have all of me. Amen? Amen. Someone can get the lights.